You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Good morning, everybody. Hey, if you will, I want to invite you to go to Mark chapter 6 with me. Mark chapter 6 as we continue in our 2020 vision series, a series we've been learning together, uh, what it means really to be the church that God has called us to be. And I just want to say again, if you are a guest today, welcome. Really glad that you are here. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. And on behalf of the, the members and the pastors of the church, uh, we really do want you to know this is a place where it's okay to not be okay. It's a place, place where you can belong before you believe. And if you're interested in learning more about what it looks like to be a part of this family, again, I would encourage you um, to be sure. And if you haven't turned a connect card, do that or come and connect with me after the gathering. I would love to personally get a chance to meet you. So Mark 6 is uh, where we are. I'm going to be reading from the NIV translation. And as always, if you would like access some of the notes and quotes, things like that from the teaching today, you can go to version, click on events, go to the Crossing Church, and you can find those there. Mark chapter 6, I want to start in verse 30. I'll read uh, through verse 34. It says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Let's pray together one more time. Father, I thank you so much for everyone who is here. Um, it is now that we just come before you. We recognize your presence amongst us. And we just ask that through your Holy Spirit, you will do what only you can do. We recognize that this word is active and it's living. And so it's just as powerful as if you were standing here in the flesh speaking it yourself. So capture our hearts, our minds, and our imaginations. And use it to conform us more to the image of your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, it was in the summer of 2008, uh, I just finished up my last, or, or my second semester of seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and I was home for the summer and decided that I wanted to be a part of a jail ministry. So I went up to the Green County Jail, I talked with the head chaplain there, and he connected me with three men that were members of a local Assembly of God church. And when I met them, it became pretty obvious that we could not be much different. Um, I, for example, grew up in a middle-class home. According to them, they grew up in poverty. Uh, I never touched drugs uh, growing up. Uh, these men all served time in prison for selling drugs. Um, I, you know, like I said, just finished my second semester working on a master's in theology. These guys told me they didn't even have a high school education. And so in many ways, just being a young, arrogant, kind of mid-20s something, uh, I just kind of thought to myself, like, I really got a lot to probably teach these guys, you know, like they're really blessed to be able to do ministry with someone like me. I mean, I just finished my Greek courses and hermeneutics and systematic theologies and boy, they're going to really be excited by me telling them all about eschatology and, and these kind of things. And, um, 
I could not be more wrong. Uh, what I realized very quickly is that these men walked in a spiritual power that I knew very little about, a power that was absolutely connected to their prayer life. And um, for example, I remember like whenever... Before we'd go to the jail, we'd go to McDonald's. This is before I was on a gluten-free diet. And so um, I would go and sit with him and we'd be eating. And all of a sudden, like one of them would be like, oh man, God, this chicken nugget's so good. Thank you, God. And, or like, man, these french fries, all oh, the ketchup. And I mean, they just like, you know, like they would just literally break out in a song and a praise to God as if God was actually listening to them. Um, and then like there'd be times where we'd be walking and just hanging out and they'd be talking to me. And the next thing I'd be like, who are they talking to? And I realized they'd be talking to Jesus as if he was physically there in the flesh. And so they, they, the prayer life they had was one that I was very unfamiliar with. And um, I remember, you know, hanging out with these guys. And the very first time we went into the jail, and of course they took our keys and our phones and all of these things, we signed in. And then this was before the Green County Jail was remodeled. And so when you walked in, you'd walk past this room where they used to hold like the inmates that were causing trouble. And so there was a guy that when we walked past, this is my first time ever in jail, by the way, um, I, I walked past this guy and he is in a straight jacket and he's tied to this wheelchair and he's spitting and hissing at us as we walked by. So I'm like, man, if you don't believe evil exists, like there it is right there. And I remember just feeling these chills and it's just this presence of darkness. And so we walk and I'm a little shaken by that, but then they take us into the cafeteria and they begin to file in these inmates one by one. There's probably like 25 or 30 in there with us at this time. And then the guard shuts the door and leaves. And I'm like, that's, that doesn't seem safe. Like I figured, you know, like maybe you should be there with your gun to protect a guy like me, 160 pounds, you know, like dripping and wet at that point. And so like, but no, he leaves, he, he walks out. And one of the guys I'm with is like, okay, like Jared, you start us. Like bring the word, man. And I'm like, all right. So I grab my Bible and um, I'm just about to go into my spiel when all of a sudden a guard comes in and he wheels in the crazy eyed guy in the straight jacket. And he says, uh, hey, pastor, uh, this guy wants to know if he can attend the church service. And just whenever I'm about to say, absolutely not, um, <laughs> Sam, the guy that was with me, says, sure, bring him on in and take his jacket off of him too. And I'm like, ah, ah, you know, like, like I'm sitting there, I'm thinking like, this is the way it ends, you know, like this is how it's going to all go down. And so they bring him in, take his jacket off of him, put him in the corner, and he's just kind of sitting there rocking back and forth, looking at me, and I'm trying not to look at him, and I'm, you know, begin to teach, and I feel like, you know, I, break a, I bring a pretty good word, and I feel pretty confident about it, and so I get done, and I go sit down, and I notice, you know, they're kind of sitting there politely, but no one's moving, no one's making any noise, I'm just like, okay, like, maybe that fell on deaf ears, I don't know, and so then Sam gets up, and Sam, um, he doesn't have any notes, and he literally begins to stumble and I use that word intentionally, stumble through a gospel presentation. And when he's done, he calls for the room to make a decision, to turn from their sins and to trust Jesus. And I kid you not, before I know it, the entire room was crying and all of the inmates, including crazy eye guy, is in a circle holding hands and crying out to Jesus. And it was in that moment I realized that these very common, ordinary, uneducated men walked in a power I'd never experienced because of their prayer life. And, I, and it's a reminder to me today as I look back at that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a reminder that God is famous. He's famous for doing extraordinary things through ordinary people who will just simply give themselves to him in prayer. This is why the great theologian Karl Barth says this. He says, to clasp our hands together in prayer 
is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. Put another way, when we pray, we literally partner with God in pushing back the darkness. Whenever we pray, we partner with God in his kingdom work to to see increasingly the world around us go from looking a little bit less like hell to a little bit more like heaven. That's what we saw there in the jail. This is why in the words of Walter Wink, he says, history belongs to people of prayer. It is by our prayers that we cast fire upon the earth and trumpet, trumpet the future into being. In other words, our prayers, literally, when we pray, we help pull the future kingdom into this present world. Which then, it should come as no surprise, because that is true, that whenever the disciples come to Jesus in Matthew 6 and say, how should we pray? What does he say to them? Pray, God, your kingdom come and your will be done. Why would Jesus ever tell us to pray for God's kingdom to come and will to be done? Because Jesus knows that when we pray in his name, things happen. The sick are healed, marriages are restored, captives are set free, the lost is found, and the dead are raised to life. And therefore, because this is true, listen, because we as a church have been talking about this over the last several weeks, our vision is to see God's kingdom come and his will be undone right here in NEA as it is in heaven. Because that is true, and because that dream, we want to see it become a reality, what we have to understand today is that for that to happen, we must become a people of prayer. And so as we continue in our vision series today, I just want to share with you now four simple steps to help you cultivate a powerful life of prayer. Just so you know, um, everything that I'm going to be talking about today has been heavily influenced by this book. This is called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People by Pete Gregg. It's one of the best books I've read on prayer. And so if you find anything that I say in just a moment helpful, I would encourage you to go and look at this yourself. And so um, with that being said, look back with me now in Mark chapter 6. Uh, which we read earlier. And I just want to kind of set the context for you here. Um, Jesus has sent out his disciples on a mission trip. And while they are out, Jesus is all alone. And he gets news that his cousin, John the Baptist, has just been beheaded by Herod. And you're familiar with this if you've been in church. This is a Bible story to you. But this was more than just a Bible story to Jesus. Uh, Jesus, or John, was not only Jesus' cousin. He was not only uh, the person who baptized Jesus. But according to Jesus himself, he said that none born of woman has been greater than John the Baptist. So John meant a whole lot to Jesus. And therefore, because Jesus himself is the most emotionally healthy human being to ever live, and we come to Mark chapter 6, we find him in a state of deep grief. And I'm sure he's probably wondering, like, am I next? Like, he knows why he's come. And he's probably wondering, like, is my time about to come? Or he maybe even wondering about these disciples who left everything to follow him. Are they about to die because they're living on mission for me? And as all this is going on in Mark 6, Jesus still reeling from the death of John the Baptist. The disciples come back from the mission, and they're kind of in a different place than Jesus is because they're pumped by how well the mission's going. They come back and they're like, Jesus, man, people are listening to our sermons. They're responding. Uh, the sick are being healed. Demons are being cast out. And so you have Jesus who's grieving the loss of his cousin. You have the disciples probably totally unaware of Jesus' emotional state. And they're just, all they want to talk about is the mission. And in this context, in the midst of all of this, we read in verse 31, it says that Jesus and his disciples are so busy that they don't even have time to eat. I don't know about you, but that's been reassuring reassuring to me this week as a guy who struggles to slow down to know that even Jesus, our sinless Savior, had times where his work-to-rest ratio got a little bit out of whack. He didn't have time to eat, but what I want you to notice, look, is in the midst of all of this activity in verse 31, 
In the middle of all of this chaos, Jesus looks at his disciples and very directly says to them, and I quote, come away with me to a quiet place and let's get some rest. You know, I think it's so easy when it comes to our prayer to say, you know, I'm going to cultivate a life of prayer when things slow down a little bit. I think I'm I'm going to become a praying person when life gets a little bit less chaotic. When the kids get a little older or maybe get out of the house or whenever I get through this season of life or when I find a different job or I'm able to drop this activity or knock out this task, then I will make prayer a priority in my life. But if you notice, for Jesus, it is right in the middle of the brokenness and the busyness of life. He says to his disciples, I want to call a timeout. Timeout. And I want to invite you to retreat with me to a quiet place of rest. If you've ever wondered why time in the scripture of prayer is called your quiet time, it's from this passage right here. And I want you to notice that it's located in one of the craziest and most chaotic and exhausting paces in Jesus' life. And the reason it's so important for us to get this today is because what I want you to understand, we're all busy. I get that. But it is in the middle of our chaotic and crazy lives that Jesus now wants to extend to you the same invitation he extended to Jesus, which is for you, like the disciples in the hustle and bustle of life, to get away with him for a daily retreat, which alone can recharge you and realign your heart and your life with his. And so with that being said, um, with that invitation in mind, because learning to retreat with Jesus is absolutely vital to our lives as disciples, and it's vital to the mission. Let me now share with you these four simple steps um, to help you cultivate a powerful prayer life. And before I get into these, let me just say this real fast. Um, when you think of these steps I'm about to share, it's really important you hear this. When you think of these steps I'm about to share, don't think of them as steps on a ladder that's going to help you get closer to God, but rather think of them as steps that are like steps to a dance that'll bring an elegant form and rhythm to your times of prayer. Okay, it's important that you get that. And so um, here are the four simple steps. I think I can put them on the screen for you. And to make it really easy, Pete Gregg gives us the acronym of PRAY. And here's what he says. If you want to cultivate, you personally, okay, you want to cultivate a powerful prayer life, you need to do these four things. You need to pause, you need to rejoice, you need to ask, and you need to yield. And if you've got little kids, instead of using the word yield, if you want, you could use the word yes. So you pause, you rejoice, you ask, you yield. I want to say a short word on each of these. I'll draw some implications and then we'll be done today. But first off, if you want to cultivate a powerful life of prayer, you must first learn to pause. As odd as it may sound, the best way for you to start praying is to stop praying. In Psalm 46, God says, Be still. And know that I'm God. Because God is a friend of stillness, because he speaks in a still small voice, the first step to cultivating a powerful prayer life is to be still. To put down your prayer list, to take a deep breath, and to ask God to actually help you become aware of his presence. Blaise Pascal, who was this child prodigy, um, who became a mathematician slash physicist, slash inventor, slash theologian, had this to say. The root cause of humanity's biggest problems is the inability to sit quietly in a room alone. You know, the truth is, God is always with us. He's here right now. God is always with us. The problem is that we are not always with God. 
Because we often find ourselves fragmented and scattered and strung out on digital dopamine, we often live unaware of the wonder that is God with us. This is why, as the old saying goes, if the devil cannot make you sin, he will make you what? He'll make you busy. Why? Because in the words of the great monk Thomas Merton, atheism is the religion of the busy. Meaning to be busy, to always be on the move, always going, always working, always running, right? To live that way, listen guys, it is to live unaware of and disconnected from the presence of God. And therefore, if we're ever going to cultivate a powerful life of prayer, the first thing we must learn to do is to slow down, to push pause on the busyness of life so that we can recenter ourselves in the presence of God. Pete Gregg tells this great story in his book about a time that he was in his home and he looked out the window and he saw a greyhound dog running down his street being chased by a metal chair that was attached to the dog's leash. It's a very bizarre sight. And he says, eventually the owner caught it and he's like, well, what happened? Like, tell me the story. Like, and the owner said, basically, he attached the dog to the chair thinking that it would stay there. But then something spooked the dog. He jumped and when he jumped, the stool jumped. And when the stool jumped, it scared the greyhound. It jumped again, and the stool jumped again. And then the dog, in a panic, took off running from the metal chair as it chased it all the way down the street. And what Greg says in his book, he says, what's so crazy whenever you watch this is all the dog needed to do if it wanted relief was to stop. It was to sit and to be still. And then he goes on and he says this. This is so important. He says, most of us in our lives live like that greyhound dog. In that many of us are being chased every day by this great herd of metal chairs. We live with this high level of anxiety that is constantly driving us and running us ragged. And it's in the midst of all of that, God comes to you today and he says, be still. Slow down. Breathe. And listen, only whenever you do that can everything begin to come back into its proper perspective. And if you're here and you're like, Jared, I mean, how in the world do I do this? Like on a practical level, like how do I learn to stop and sit and be still and just be aware of the presence of God? Well, what I can share for you is what I do and what I do and what I would encourage you to do as well is to start every morning literally sitting and just being still. Find you a comfortable place in your house. For me, I got this little $10 mid-century chair that I bought at a flea market. It's my favorite chair in the house. I brew my coffee. I go sit. I turn the lamp, the lamp on. I take a few deep breaths. And then I use this little simple prayer phrase. This is what I do, and I would encourage you to do the same. I, I, honestly, I just say, God, you are here. Now help me to be here. God, you are here. Help me to be here. And then I will just read a passage of Scripture to set my mind on the presence of God. Okay, that's what it means to pause. And it's the first step to cultivating a powerful prayer life. Next, if you kind of go through that acronym from P to R, the next step is not only do we need to pause, but we need to rejoice. We need to rejoice. In Philippians 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Now, because we live in a fallen world, sometimes life hurts like hell. And it's not always easy to rejoice in your circumstances. But we can learn to rejoice in God no matter what our circumstances are. I know that whenever life gets tough, we all want God to airlift us out of the problems, which, by the way, that's called a miracle. We all want that, but what you need to know is oftentimes, rather than God airlifting you out of your problems, you know what he'll do? He'll parachute into the problem. 
David says this in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're there. That's it. Because God walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. It's so important that you get this today because, listen, if you do not, here's the thing, guys. Please hear this. Most of the time, you will not be able to change your circumstances. But you can absolutely change your relationship to the circumstances. And you do that by focusing on your relationship with God. You do that by moving from thinking about all of your problems to thinking about his presence, by remembering that the God who holds the world in his hands rejoices over you. And therefore, when you believe that, then and only then can you rejoice in him. This, again, is a crucial step in cultivating a powerful prayer life. So important that we get this. You know, there are times where I travel because of work and I will be away from my kids for a while. And I'll tell them when I'm leaving, hey, I'm going to try to get you something and I'm on a trip and I'll bring it back. And so there have been times where I go on a trip, I come home, I walk in the door, my kids greet me. And what do you think they say? Dad, where'd you get us? Right? To where I'll be like, whoa, hey, 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 how about, hey, dad, good to have you home, dad. Good to see you. And they'll be like, Oh, yeah. Good to see you, Dad. Where'd you get us? Right? And it's just like, golly, come on. And here's the thing, like, I love to give my kids gifts, but I also really like to know that more than my kids enjoy getting stuff from me, they just enjoy being with me. And the same is true with God. God wants you to ask him for things. But before we try to get things from him, it's good for us to take a moment to just rejoice in him. Before we reach out our hands and say, what do you got for me? It's good for us to reach out and to hug him, to embrace him, to recognize the greatest thing that God can give us is not his presence, but it's his presence. And if you're here and you're like, man, Joe, that all sounds great, but what if like adoration and worship towards God doesn't just erupt in my heart spontaneously when I first approach God? Like what if I find it hard to rejoice in him? Well, I would say welcome to the club. There are some days where I don't feel like rejoicing in God either. But it's in those moments what we have to learn how to do is we have to learn how to engage in activities that stir our hearts towards God. And I think one of the greatest ways you can do this, by the way, is by simply just reading a psalm. And it's like, I don't like the psalms. Okay, well, the psalms are just a collection of prayers which Jesus himself used and loved. And if they work for Jesus, they're going to work for you. I encourage you to read a psalm. Luke was up here last week. And he's always got energy when he's up here, doesn't he? I mean, he's like giving announcements. He's like telling you about where the bathrooms are. And he's like, the bathrooms are over there. It's awesome. Uh, and so, um, but last week he was especially pumped. And I remember this. You may not remember this, but I remember this. He comes up and he's just like, man, like I just been reminded of this morning about the steadfast love of God. And you might remember this. Like he wasn't making it up. Well, I preached like you could, you could see him beholding the beauty of Christ. And he's talking about how great God is in his love. And then you, you, you may not remember this. But what he said is the reason he was reminded of God's love is because he had just read Psalm 33 that morning. That triggered the whole thing. Am I right? Is that right? Psalm 33? The whole, that triggered the whole thing. Just reading a psalm. Another thing I would encourage you to do as well as praying through the Psalms is I would encourage you to fill your day with music that stirs your heart towards God. Music has a way of moving you like nothing else. You need to watch what music you're listening to. I'm not saying you have to just listen to K-Love or Air One. Maybe jazz music stirs your heart towards God. I don't know. I don't understand jazz music. Some of you love it. Whatever it is, you need to find music that you listen to that begin to turn and direct your heart towards how good God is. Some of you need to go on a walk regularly. 
I don't know what it may be for you. For me, one of the things I do is I practice gratitude. I literally, every single morning, replay my day and I thank God for 24 things within the past 24 hours. I need that. Because it's so easy for me to always focus on all the stuff that's wrong in my life and all the negative stuff. But when I stop and I look at the last day, even if it was not an easy day, I can always come up with 24 things to thank God for, whether it's a good cup of coffee or it's just the fact that I'm healthy. Man, I went and saw a man this morning before I came to our first service who's in the ICU. It was fine on Monday, and, and now he's in intensive care. It was fine on Friday, I'm sorry. And now he's in intensive care. And I just honestly just stopped and be like, man, I'm no different than him. Like, thank you, God, that I'm healthy enough to be here today. Take time to practice gratitude, to thank God for who he is and what already he has done for you. That will help you learn to rejoice in him. Third, we pause, we rejoice, and then this is the one I think we're actually probably most good at. We begin to ask. We ask. Prayer means many things to many people, but in its simplest and most obvious, it means asking God for help. It's a soldier begging for courage. It's a football fan before the game. It's a student before a test. It's a mother alone in a hospital chapel. To pray is to ask God to do things for us. We call that petition. And then to do things for others. That's called intercession. In one place in scripture, Jesus says this, ask anything in my name and I will do it. Isn't that crazy? Ask anything in my name and I'll do it. On another occasion, Jesus says, God is a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children when they ask. Please hear me. Your prayers cannot control God but they absolutely can influence God. And we see it all through the scriptures. All through the scriptures. From cover to cover, we see that there are wonderful things that will only happen. Guys, listen. There are wonderful things that will only happen if you ask for them. And there are unspeakably terrible things that will prevail unless we harness our will with God's will to resist them in prayer. And anytime I find myself doubting this, anytime I start to feel like my prayers don't make a difference, a good exercise for me is I just begin to look back on my life and think about all the prayers God has answered. I was thinking, just, I did this this past week, and I was going to preach a sermon to kind of prepare my heart. And I was sort of thinking about how one of our church was young, and we went from one house to two houses to three houses, and then eventually the Paragold Cinema 8 called and said, love what you guys are doing, we'll give you the cinema for free to meet in, which is an answer prayer in itself. But then we're like, okay, maybe we should buy a sound system. Um, we're going to need a sound system. And so we began to process them. We found out sound systems were $6,000. And some of you are like, $6,000, that's not a big deal to charge. But at the time, $6,000 might, might as well have been $600,000. That was a lot of money to our church. A bunch of young people. We weren't wealthy. Didn't have any money. And so what did we do? We just prayed, God, you own it all. Would you please give us $6,000 for a sound system? You know what happened? Later that week, a man in the church who doesn't even follow Jesus, was not a member of our church, came up to me and said, hey, God told me to give this to you. You know what it was? It's a check for $6,000. And I can tell you story after story. I was thinking about Adam's here on the front row. You remember whenever you were in, Adam was in town for Thanksgiving break, if I'm not mistaken. You were living in Kansas City at the time. Uh, had no intentions of ever moving back here. You're like buying, you know, plots to graves and all this kind of stuff. I mean, you, you have no, no, no idea like God's ever going to call you back here. But I begin to pour my heart out to Adam, and I'm like, man, uh, like I'm really lonely right now. I'm the only full time pastor on our staff. Our church is growing. I really feel like we need another full time pastor. And I would love it if God would bring someone that could be a good friend to me that I could feel like, hey, I'm kind of pulling the sled with. And Adam said, well, let's just stop right now. And let's pray that God would give you someone like that. And within three months, Rusty Langford moved here. And began to, to work with me on staff, and it was awesome. And then whenever Rusty left, God brought Adam and his wife here 
to take their place. Answered prayer. Um, I remember whenever we outgrew the cinema. You guys remember this. We were like, we need a, we need a bigger building. But how are we going to afford a building? We didn't have much money. Again, we just prayed, okay, God, give us a building. And so what does God do? He gives us this building, which cost money. And we're like, how are we going to afford that? And, and, and we just begin to pray, God, please provide us with the finances we need to purchase this building, to not make a stupid financial decision. And so we made a decision to step out in faith. And you know what happened? Within weeks of doing that, a company from Jonesboro called me. They'd never met me before. They called me and said, I heard about what God's doing at the Crossing Church, as Fellowship of the Time in Paragold. So we want to give you one acre of land in the middle of Paragold that you can sell and then use that money to put towards the building. We ended up selling that land, got $180,000 out of it. Uh, we then had families that started coming to us out of the woodwork. So they're like, here's $30,000. Another person like, here's $50,000. Had one family come to us and like, here's $102,000. You want that? I'm like, yeah, I think we can use that. Right? It's like, what do you do for a living again? It's like, um, it's incredible to think how God has provided. You guys, you realize we moved into this building. I don't remember what the total cost was on everything by the time I remodeled, but within two and a half years, it was paid off because of prayer. There's no strategy for it. It's because of prayer. And if you're like, yeah, but Jared, of course God answers your prayers. You're a pastor. You know? Well, then I would just say, like, don't just take my word for it. Like, I wish my daughter was here in the first service. I'd say, like, take her word for it, my eight-year-old daughter. She was telling me, we were talking about this this past week, about what I was preaching on and all that, and talking about prayer. And, and, and she reminded me of a situation last year, I remember, where she literally was outside playing. It was raining. She was dancing in the rain, and all of a sudden it stopped raining. And she said in that moment, she said, I know that God controls, controls the rain. So I said, God, make it rain. And she said it started sprinkling. And she's like, no, I want like hard rain. And she said, then it started pouring on her. I was like, well, what did you do next? She said, I just danced around and said, joy, joy, joy. Like just started dancing around. I was like, okay. Like I'm sure the neighbors were like, yep, that makes sense. And so it's like, you know, like, and, and, and I know like some of you, maybe you hear that and you're like, but was that really a miracle? Or was that just like crazy Arkansas weather? I don't know. But here's what I do know. If you never ask God for his help, you will never see a miracle in your life. But on the flip side, if you learn to pray, if you learn to ask God, even for some of the small, seemingly insignificant things, then like Nora, you can learn to live your life with a greater level of joy and gratitude towards God. You may not dance around singing, joy, joy, but you will find yourself thanking God, not just for the big stuff, but even the ordinary stuff in life like a parking spot at the store, food on your table, or even rain for you to dance in. So pause, rejoice, ask. Finally, if you want to cultivate a powerful prayer life, you need to yield. Or again, if you're teaching this to your kids, just say yes to God. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says this, that we as disciples are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. And therefore, because that is true, we need to carve out time every single day for us just to surrender ourselves all over to God again. We need a time in our prayer time where we say, God, you know what? Even if you don't answer these prayers, even if you don't bring relief, even if you don't heal my child, even if you don't give me the promotion, I will trust that you are God and I'm not. I will trust that your ways are higher than my ways. Your plans are better than my plans. And therefore, God, even if none of this makes sense, 
Even when it's not easy, I will continue to pursue you with everything that I have. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. This is what it means to yield to God. It's first off to listen to his voice. Do you know the voice of God when you hear it? You listen to his voice. How do you hear the voice of God? Let me tell you, how do you hear the voice of God? Thank you, brother, for speaking. I love the feedback through the scriptures. You also know you can hear the voice of God through brothers and sisters in Christ who share a word with you. You can know the the voice of God through, I think, I believe even dreams. I believe God speaks through that, through creation. Now, it's always going to be in line with this. God can speak through us through many different ways. Do you know the voice of God? You have voice recognition. To yield is to hear the voice of God and then to know that whatever he says to you, that you then say, okay, I'm now going to walk and step in obedience to how I know that you're calling me to live. And just so you know, the way this looks for me, again, I'm just trying to be super practical with you this morning. The way this looks for me is every morning, I I, I recap my previous 24 hours. And I don't just do that in order to give God thanks for things. I also do that in order to figure out if there were areas in my life where I walked out of step with the way God created me to walk. I do that to try to stop and ask the Spirit to bring to my mind times where I do not love God or others the way He's called me to. And it's interesting how in the busyness of life, I miss things like this. But when I slow down, I'm like, oh yeah. Without fail, every morning, it seems like the Spirit will bring to my mind occasions where I was either selfish or lustful or deceitful or self-righteous or unkind. And listen, as this happens, as God brings our sin to the surface... And to remind, we got one of three options. We can either, like Adam and Eve, begin to cover and hide and be like, ooh, let's push that aside. Or we can be like the Pharisee who says, yeah, well, God, at least I'm not like those people. Like, sure, that's a sin, but it ain't anything like that sin over there, so it ain't that big of a deal. Or we could be like the tax collector in Luke 18 who cried out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, that's the kind of man, that's the kind of woman who leaves justified. That's the one who experiences my grace in new and profound ways. And listen, guys, I get it. Repentance is not popular. Like repentance has a bad reputation in our culture today. Because when we think of repentance, a lot of times we think of the guy with a bullhorn on the street corner yelling, turn or burn. But whenever you think of repentance, don't think of a bullhorn, but rather think of it as a bath. Think of repentance as the process of removing dirt from your body so that you can experience afresh the cleansing power of God's grace and mercy in your life. Pete Gregg in his book says it like this. Without the discipline of confession and repentance, your life will begin to stink. Behaviors that would have seemed shameful or even shocking will become tolerated, accommodated, and eventually normalized as your conscience is numbed. But by confessing your sins regularly, your life will smell sweet. You will be healthy and holy, a little more like Jesus every day. That's the end goal, by the way. To become more like Jesus. To become the kind of person who will one day fit right in into the kingdom of God. So, with that being said, and we're almost done this morning... As we think through our series, again, our vision is to see God's kingdom come and his will being done in northeast Arkansas as it is in heaven. It starts in our hearts. We want to see this in our hearts. We want to see this in our schools, in our places of work, our neighborhoods, and even in our nations. But in order for us to see this dream become a reality, we must become a people of prayer. And in order for us to become a people of prayer, a church of prayer, we have to cultivate personal, powerful prayer lives. And one way that you can do that, the simple process, 
is to pause, to rejoice, to ask, and to yield. Now, all that being said, stay with me. As we end, at the end of the day, I don't care if you use this process or not. I really don't. Like, I'm just trying to be the most, I'm trying to give you the most practical, helpful advice that I give you this morning. That's all I'm trying to do. If you don't want to use it, that's fine. Whatever you decide to do, here's what I want you to know. The best advice I have ever received when it comes to prayer is this. When it comes to prayer, do these three things and you'll be all right. Keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. I think back to Matthew chapter 6 where the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And in response, what does Jesus give them? He gives them the Lord's Prayer. Now, I never knew this until this past week. I got a master's in theology. never knew this until this past week. Do you realize the Lord's Prayer in its original language was only 31 words long and every word rhymed with the other word? So literally, the disciples come to Jesus, the one who created the whole world and holds it in existence, and says, will you teach me how to pray? And Jesus, as a model prayer, basically gives them a tweetable poem. So keep it simple. Secondly, I would say, keep it real. In the words of Thomas Merton, God is far too real to be met anywhere other than in reality. With that being said, do not look at prayer as a place to be good. Look at prayer as a place to be honest. Come to God as you really are. Don't try to use all these churchy big words that you would never use in common day language. Come to him as you are and be honest about what you're feeling and you're thinking and know that he can handle it. So keep it real, keep it simple. And then finally, I would say, keep it up. Don't be discouraged, guys. Prayer, like every spiritual discipline, takes practice. It takes practice. Um, you probably remember me reading uh, uh, about Frank Lawback several weeks ago. He's the guy that came up with the game of minutes. Remember that? He, he made it a go in his life to bring God to mind every minute to be in his presence. He's the only missionary to ever be on a U.S. postage stamp. I mean, it, incredible guy. But listen to this. Frank Lawback, think about this. The guy who came to a point in his life where every minute he became aware of the presence of God, this same guy compared prayer to throwing rocks in a swamp. Think about that image. Prayer, throwing rocks into a swamp. What happens? Yeah, it just sinks. He says, each rock, talking about prayer, seems to sink without a trace. This exercise seems pointless. You ever been there? This prayer, this, this seems pointless. However, if you keep going long enough, if you keep throwing those rocks, the swamp will eventually be filled, and one day a rock will be thrown and it will not sink, and solid ground will begin to appear. And so if you're here and you ever feel like, boom, right? Keep it up. You're not alone. Eventually, What you will discover is every single prayer that you pray in the name of Jesus has made a difference. It will change you and it will change the world around you. With that being said, I want to invite our band to come forward. And before we start shuffling and moving around, I want to transition us into a time of communion. Here's what I want us to think about. Think about this, guys. We're we're almost done. The main thing I want you to consider as you come and you partake of communion is this. Prayer is not transactional. Prayer is relational. Like the whole point of prayer is just a conversation with God. It's just to commune with the creator of the universe. 
Like when we pray, we literally give God, when we, when we pray, like we literally give God the thing that he wants the most. You know what that is? Your heart. Your presence. Just like I love whenever my kids come to me. I don't care if they're dirty. I don't care if they're stinky. I don't care if they're stumbling all over themselves. They come to me. They just want to be with me. I mean, I'm like, oh, bring it on. Prayer is all about relationship. And here's what I've been thinking about. I want to think about this as we uh, enter the time of communion. Um, I've been reading through the Old Testament, and I just finished the book of Leviticus. Thank God. Um, I made it through and uh, did some speed reading, but I made it through. And here's the thing about the book of Leviticus. I don't know if you've ever read it, but it is literally probably the bloodiest literature you'll ever read. I can't think of anything I've ever read in my life that's bloodier than that. Um, And here's why it's so bloody. Because God is such a good and loving Father that even though He is perfectly holy and sinless, He went through extreme measures to try to help a dirty, defiled, disgusting people learn how to have a relationship with Him. And so the only way that literally... He could allow for them to enter into his presence without them being obliterated by his holiness was through these sacrifices. It was through the sacrifices. And here's what I begin to think about. And maybe if you're anything like me, you need to repent of this this morning. I begin to think about everything that Israel had to go through in order to enter into the presence of God and how they were willing to do it. And then I begin to think about how flippant I can be about the fact that right now I'm in the presence of God without being blown apart by his holiness. How is that possible? Not through many sacrifices that I have to make, but through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on my behalf. And we come, we partake of communion every single week, and we tear off a piece of bread, and we dip it in the juice. What we are reminded of is the great cost, the great sacrifice of Jesus laying down his life and shedding his blood for you and me so that now we can enter and we can stand before God holy and blameless and accepted. Do you realize that when you talk to God right now, if you're in Christ, he listens to you if, if Jesus himself is speaking to him. Unbelievable. What a privilege that we have. And so if you're here today and you are a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to these tables. We have two stations in the front, two in the back, a gluten-free option for you, my back left, your back right. As you tear off the piece of bread and you dip it in the juice, be reminded again of the body of Christ that was broken for you and the blood of Christ that was shed for you so that now you can have direct access into the presence of God. If you're here today, listen, and you are not a Christian, if you've never trusted in Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection on your behalf, you do not have access into the presence of God. You do not get to experience the relationship with him as a loving father. And so I would encourage you today, rather than partaking of communion, partake of Christ. Come to him. Don't try to work your way into God's lap. Don't try to climb some sort of ladder. But just admit, you cannot do anything to earn your way into his presence. And just come and say, it's only by Christ alone, by, by, by faith alone, or by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, that I can enter into this relationship. And if you want more help with how to do that, Luke's here. Adam's up here in the front. I'm here. I would love to talk to you about what those next steps would be. That being said, I invite you to stand. I want to pray for us. And then we'll partake of communion, sing one more song. We'll be done this morning. Father, I thank you so much. What a privilege to be able to be in your presence. God, forgive me for being so flippant, so nonchalant. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes and see how beautiful that you are, that you are better than anything that you could give us. You're better than any gift that we have. You're better than our jobs. You're better than our careers. You're better than our our money. You're better than our spouse. You're better than our kids. 
You're better than our health. I think of David's words that it's better to be in your presence, just one day in your presence, than a thousand anywhere else outside of your presence. I thank you, Jesus, that you came and you accomplished everything that we need so that we can now experience you to the fullest. I pray if there's anybody here who does not know you, that God, that through the power of your spirit, you would open their eyes and see you as they are, that you would save them and you would draw them into yourself. And it's in Christ that we pray. Amen.